This podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Black Acres Roastery. Black Acres Roastery is an artisan coffee roaster located in the Highlandtown District of Baltimore. Every roast, they strive to bring out the best qualities in unique coffees from around the world. They ethically source beans and curate roasting profiles that provide each cup of coffee a story. My favorite is Midnight Train, a dark roast with notes of cocoa nibs, grand cracker, and stone fruit. Delicious. Also, check out their cold brew. Temperatures are changing, so cold brew is going to be in effect. So stay woke and check out their website, www.blackacrescoffee.com. Tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today's guest is a visual storyteller um, from Baltimore. We have a Baltimore griot. We have Sydney Allen. Welcome to the podcast. Jay, Jay Allen. Sydney Jay Allen. You told me this? <laughs> you know, okay. get that J in it. Don't forget the J, Rob. And I just forgot the J. But thank you for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for inviting me. So in a real, like, I did a, a really, like, simple overview and saying, official storyteller, but you really describe your work. Break down what you're doing and, and what projects you're working on at this moment. Um, okay. So my goal as a photographer, what I started out doing is, like, creating this uh, visual narrative of life in Baltimore, kind of sort of like a slice of life thing. And by doing so... Um, kind of disrupting stereotypical black iconography and stereotypical stories about Baltimore and hoping to replace that with more empowering reality stories or like more empowering stories for uh, black, specifically black people in Baltimore to consume um, and see. So that is kind of like my, my overarching goal Um, into like show intimacy. Um, I was reflecting on my work practice yesterday because I was I was on the bus, uh, taking the bus home from like getting my COVID vaccine. And um, I always jokingly say like, oh, I don't take the bus as if I'm above it. <laughs> Clearly not, because I was on the bus, but um, <laughs> reality. I was on the, <laughs> the reality of it is I don't have a car, <laughs> so I'm taking the bus. So um, as I was on the bus, I was getting like really nostalgic because like, um, you know, that's where I really, st- like street photography is where I started. Um, and so being on the bus and seeing parts of Baltimore just made me really nostalgic and also just reminded me of like where I began and like my originating work practices. And I was just thinking like, you know, street photography for me, if I'm if I'm uh, being a, um, a visual storyteller, street photography um, or like photographing neighborhoods in Baltimore was kind of like my world building aspect um, of storytelling. And then I guess my portraits would be my. Um, character development mm-hmm. uh, aspect of the storytelling. Um, yeah. So share, I, I remember the term, like not everyone throws out griot, right? And as, yeah. as a term and, and some intentionality in making that a handle that you're, you're using regularly. So speak on the, and share the importance or the intention of using, using that term. Cause I have an idea, but I got mine from Morgan. I want to hear <laughs> your, your, how you deem it and why it's important for you to use that in, in your branding. So when I was um, taking myself serious as an artist and as a photographer, I was like, I want to I want to name. I don't want to just be Sydney Allen, even though we'll get into later on why I just decided to be Sydney Allen. City J. J. Allen, you're right. <laughs> so I um, I was like looking for a name, um, a pseudonym, I guess. And I wanted it to be a reflection of, you know, 
where I come from and also a reflection of like me being a black person or, or having some ties around like black identity because I knew I wanted to just strictly um, work and photograph black people. So um, I had a friend that was a part of a program, I think it's called Griot's Eye. And I remember the terminology Griot and, and what it meant to West African term mm-hmm. um, in short meaning storyteller or it's like a trade um, that that was a thing. Um, and so I was like, just put piecing names together and piecing things together. And then I, I came up with a Baltimore Griot. Um, and, and that's exactly, I was like, I need something that's gonna encompass what I'm doing. And so a Baltimore Griot, a Baltimore storyteller. That's what I do. I think that's important, though. Like in in looking at it, is obviously it's something that for certain cities, especially like black cities, there's this constant. How can we sanitize this and you know change the colorization of it? And I think if someone is carrying that along and trying to speak that truth, and being a person that carries along that old tradition, and maybe in your instance a visual tradition of this is Baltimore or what have you, and this is the honest approach of Baltimore it kind of, it bucks at that, that sanitation attempt, that gentrification attempt, that mm. conscious rebranding attempt. It's a very specific Baltimore that I'm looking at too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Baltimore is a majority black city and like it's weirdly put together of like, you know, <laughs> yes. poverty and then really niceness. And it's, it's a mix, it's a very mixed city. Like you got, you got Greek town, you got like, like over there, over East, over Patterson Park, you know, it's a lot of like uh, Hispanic, People that live over there, like Baltimore is mixed. Yeah. It's very yeah. mixed. But I am very focused on uh like the black black people that live here and their experiences. Um, because I just feel like one, that's where I grew up. That that's how I grew I'm a black person. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a reflection of me and my life, but also like that's just my lane. <laughs> and I think that's really important when you're an artist, is like sticking to your lane. Totally. I'm not about to go over and Patterson Park and start photographing a bunch of Latino folks. I'm probably using the wrong um, terminology here, but I'm not about to do that because I'm not it's Latino. Not, it's not your story, you know? And, and, and to, to even echo that point, you're right. Like even looking at what Eastern Avenue, you have like Little Italy and then colloquially it's like, this is where the Spanish folks are at and then Greek town. It's like, hold on, yep. the same street. yeah baltimore is weird like that but like i'm not going up there and tacos and then what's what's greek food gyros gyro gyros gyro gyros that was super black i appreciate it (laughs) (laughs) you get the wild grape leaves you get the uh spanakopita yeah mm, chata like it's, it's it's just a respect um thing and like even if even as a black person you know and the point of photographing blackness is also showing that we are not a monolith and we're not just like one brand there's a lot of uh, intersectionality in being black Mm -hmm. and so that's also what I look to explore and there are parts of that that I am still very um, mindful of too like um, going into certain spaces and photographing it I I make sure to very much so stay in my lane Um, because it there are a lot of photographers in the city. I recognize there. I'm not the only person in Baltimore photographing Baltimore, trying to tell a story of Baltimore. You know, everybody's doing that. There's a lot of people doing that. Um, and they're doing it from their perspective. Sure. You know? So I think that's really important to uh, recognize. 
Yeah, and I think the thing happens in, in different areas where there's this uh, conscious effort for people to be, I'm going to be the voice of Baltimore. Here's my podcast. And it's like, it's not that good. Or you're taking, I, I mean, I, I'm just keeping it funky, but or you're taking <laughs> you're taking this angle from and it's a very specific angle. And some people try to do a little bit too much. And it's like, if you're going to do mm-hmm. politicians and do politicians, don't talk to artists or don't talk to like entrepreneurs with that same approach because then you're just muddy in the water and it just doesn't quite work. And being in a specific lane and kind of knowing, have that self-awareness of this is what I'm trying to accomplish and this is the angle that I'm coming from with it. I think that's important for for any artist to really look at. And it's not pigeonholing yourself, I think, but it's also like, no, this is where I think I'm most effective and this is what interests me at this point. Right, right. And it's also just like, you you can see in the work that artists do um, just how intentional and how much because there is a level of care I think that goes into making art mm-hmm. and so like if you're not putting in love and care into the work it's going to show and it's going to look sloppy so that's why it's also important so I agree with you um, gotta know your lane so has has there been a project maybe maybe it's the current one maybe it's the ongoing uh, project or or feature that is really stuck out to you and why like just something that you've either worked on or something that you've seen for someone else that really is like caught your eye and and what made it catch your eye? Uh, you talking about for me or for other artists? Um, e- either way, um, for you or another artist. Um, trying to think of what I've been consuming lately. <laughs> Uh, Shay McCoy's West Baltimore Ruins, I think, is mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. specific look at Baltimore culture and Baltimore architecture in general, which I think is really interesting. Um, and also, um, been looking at a lot of Larry Cook, uh, the, the photographic works of Larry Cook, um, and his exploration of, you know, Black fatherhood and he has this other interesting series where he like takes these like club backdrops yeah. and like puts them in nature and he like photographs people in front of the club backdrop. I think it's, like, that's really a really specific um, aspect of black culture, I think. Um, and it's like really good work too. So those are the two pieces of work or two artists that I've been looking at recently for myself. Yeah. Uh, I've been trying to get into conceptual art making for a really long time and um the last project that i really did or the last like theme that i explored was uh black skateboarders i like took a day and i went to the skate park in hamden which is um anybody knows hamden's like historically racist yeah (laughs) like that's the only place where skaters have a space to like go and skate at um, and it's and they redid it like a few years ago. So now there's like a bowl and like there's all these rails and stuff. So it's not just flat concrete. It's like a whole, you know, um, whole landscape for uh, skaters. So I went up there um, and I just photographed a few black skaters. Um, also, again, just sticking to the theme of the intersectionality of black people and how we're pretty multifaceted. And um, so that is the last thing I really worked on. Okay. So in, in, in doing this and with, and your, your work still has, it has that, that theme as you, you've touched on before. It's just, I'm, I'm covering black people <laughs> I'm covering, and this is, this is what I'm doing. So 
you, you touched on the intersectionality of it. Are there any other themes that you want someone who's not even familiar with Baltimore? Because that's one of the byproducts, I think, of this podcast of come here. We got dope black people or come here. We got dope things. <laughs> what, what, what other thing do you that comes to mind that you want people to take from your work when they're like consuming it? Um, well, the work is for other black people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if other people outside of blackness come across it that's fine. But the work is really for black folk. And I really want them to see them like it's a mirroring process. I want them to see themselves as something outside of stereo stereotypes, right. Or outside of the, cause I, I think that like media is a very huge, huge thing in our world in, in our culture and especially in America. So like in media, we are constant, like black people are constantly, um, shown as something that we are not or you know just mm-hmm. hyperbolized version of, of blackness and so and also like especially in baltimore black people are told all types of wild shit about themselves sorry i didn't mean to curse um all, all types of wild stuff about themselves um and so when i'm making this work and i'm just trying to mirror back and reflect the the beauty that i see in blackness and the intimacy that I see in, in black people and in Baltimore. And like, I just want people to know that they're seen and they are just more than, uh, you know, more than what whiteness would tell them they are. That's good. That's good. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this opportunity to see the true black podcasters of Baltimore for that, that series <laughs> catching us. Cause I, I think, in that hyperbolic sense, in that very kind of one dimensional sense, the way that media and they have a really hard time because I think Baltimore's become the black city du jour for some people, mm. but then they can't capture the essence of the Baltimore accent. They can't capture certain things that are here. So bad. Like I've lived here for 36 years and I can't even capture it. I sound like I'm from a different state. I get accused of that regularly. <laughs> But too much. Sometimes I do too. I got friends from Chicago and they're always making fun of me. I'm like, y'all can't talk. Like, look, <laughs> you enunciate every letter and <laughs> but- y'all are the combination of like down south folk and California folk. I don't want to hear from y'all. <laughs> but I remember looking at this uh the show about like um like lingu- linguistics and such, and it was saying that Baltimore somewhere between Connecticut, which is the base accent when they're teaching someone that's from a different country how to do an american accent that's the general american accent but we're really? closely yeah we're closely aligned to but it's a specific connecticut not like south or anything that has any seasoning to it uh <laughs> we're we're closer to philadelphia is what they they were saying in terms of the linguistics yeah we really are philly you ever been to philly it's like our sister city it literally just is a bigger baltimore yeah I mean, in, ter- in terms of the places that I think of relocating, because what happens is once you get on, you leave. That's what I want to do. Uh, once you get on, you leave. <laughs> <laughs> once you get in five, you leave. So I'm only looking for places and I'm kidding, but I want to look for places that are similar to Baltimore. So it would be Philadelphia, New Orleans. And yeah, I haven't been to New Orleans, but I really want to go. I've heard it's very similar. I went, I've been to Chicago. I got a lot of homies from Chicago and Chicago don't feel like Baltimore, but it definitely feels like very kinfolk. Mm. to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Chicago feel like my, my cousins. That's what I call my friends from Chicago. Like, they my cousins. My Windy City cousins. My Windy City cousins. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of, like, getting put on and moving, like, 
I be thinking about that sometimes of like, you know, again, I've been really reflecting on some art practices mm-hmm. lately because I think there's there's a shift occurring um, internally <laughs> and therefore it's, you know, going out externally to my work. But I, I don't know, like, I think the the work that I do is very communal based, mm-hmm. um, especially if I'm talking about building a narrative of Baltimore and I'm talking about Baltimore and Baltimore is my focus. It's like, it would not make sense for me to leave the city that I'm documenting because I can't go some, to another city and document that city. I don't know. I just, I don't know if I, like, I don't even know what getting put on means. Like I get put on by other members of my community. Like all the stuff that I've ever gotten has been because I've worked with someone else and they've suggested me to someone else. And that's usually how I, I get stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I agree I, with that though. Like, I think when, I think once you get past whatever fake gatekeepers that are around or whatever that kind of slim, sure. there is a, you sure about that kind of vibe that I think we generally have here. Once you get mm-hmm. past that, Sometimes I have to show my Baltimore card. It's like I grew up in Lafayette projects. Move on. And I have to show that sometimes. I have to like, you know, show anchor or what have you. And you know, it's one of those things. But I think once you get get past it, the community is such that and the, the artistic community and the business community is such that they're they're gonna be there for you. And I hear it every episode, especially for people that move here and they try to endear themselves and be a part of the community. It's like people always look out here. So yeah. this notion of of leaving. It, it's a really hard thing to do. It's like leaving the job where you're like, I know this is on point here. It's like, there's gotta be a lot that makes me want to leave. It's gotta be more than just a couple of dollars or the notion of being put on. It's like, what, how do you define being put on is, is the way I kind of look at it. Right. And I think also like the idea of being put on a gatekeeper is like, I think that's changing because I think a lot of Baltimore, especially black artists are like, we are trying to disrupt that. Right. Mm-hmm. We want mm-hmm. our own. If we want, we're going to, I feel like there are a lot of black artists trying to build their own spaces because let's not, mm. let's, uh, let's be real here. Like a hundred percent of this Baltimore culture is by black artists. Um, so like, I think black artists are really trying to like reclaim that mm. and um, trying to get into other spaces for real or make their own space. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's not to say that I don't want my work to let me travel. Like, I definitely want to shoot for bigger publications one day. Like, I love The Atlantic. I'd love to shoot for The Atlantic yeah. or The New York Times or The New Yorker or whatever. Like, yes, I want to travel for that stuff, but I don't have to, like, leave my city to do that. I, I want to do um, a series. I think COVID has really showed us that you don't got to leave nowhere to do nothing. Totally. I want to do a series where I look at cities that are deemed, quote unquote, bad cities that happen to be a high concentration in black folk. And I want to interview and get a lay of the land. I can be an easy series right there. And this would be still my focal point in my base because I'm from here and I love this city. And yeah, like I don't want, I'm, I definitely like the way I see it, I'm 28 now. Oh, um, damn, I just, I'll be 29 this year. But I think like in my, like in my thirties, I'm getting ready to be aged and seasoned. <laughs> well, I, I think my nest, my, where I buy property and land and stuff will be here in Baltimore. But that's just my nest. And I can like go elsewhere with my art. Like, but Baltimore is my home. Mm-hmm. 
as I'm shedding my wings, you know, because I'm closer to 40 and 30. And as I uh, shed my wings and figure out uh, where I'm going to put my second nest, uh, my side nest, as it were. No, I'm kidding. Um, my side nest. My side nest is going to be out this country. I can't. Just... My side nest is in Canada. It's just like I'm a blue jay. It's just <laughs> right. like in the division. Uh, so describe qualities of that Baltimore aesthetic, because you're, you're capturing um, different things, capturing the scenery, capturing the architecture and the people that inhabit it. So give those qualities of the aesthetic, because I don't think we get a lot of love for how the city is. It's got some old stuff and it's got some new stuff. Yeah. When I think about the architecture in Baltimore, the first thing that comes to mind is row homes. Mm-hmm. Um and everybody's got row homes in this city, uh, but ours, I think, yeah, we got a lot of row homes in the city. And I think the aesthetic of West Baltimore is a lot different than the aesthetic of East Baltimore, even though we all got the same row homes, but it's just a little, a little different. Little Every feel is different in each part of Baltimore. Um, and also like capturing iconic areas. Like I think what is really fun when people decide to like shoot stuff in Baltimore, it's like being like, oh, that's such and such street and that's such and such street. So like, um, I think certain areas and certain neighborhoods and certain streets are also very iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, and just met, like photographing that and mapping that out for people to like, you know, be like, that's my neighborhood that I came up in or whatever, you know? I can't tell you how many times I don't like photograph something and people be like, yeah, I grew up right there. Or, you know, I used to go to that nail salon in the nineties, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think it's really important because Baltimore is changing very rapidly. Yes. There's a lot yes. of development coming in and like Lexington market stuff. Like I have this photo from of Lexington market from like 2017. Like, that is not what Lexington Market is going to look like in the coming years. Like, and even certain neighborhoods for real are just going to look different. Um, and I think it's really important to like capture what Baltimore looks like now before all this development comes in. As, as a person, as I'm in East Baltimore and I bought a house that I lived in probably, let's say 25 years ago. And I was like, yeah, this is not here. The schools I was in are closed. It's a yeah. whole, it's a Shake Shack forming, like a Koofy forms so is a Shake Shack <laughs> forming. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just signs of gentrification. And it's just like, you know, you, you, you want these resources to be put in, but you want it to be authentic to, to what's here. And I, I believe the um, Baltimore, East Baltimore Historic Society is over here in this area. And I took part of a meeting that they were in and they were shading the folks from Micah. Cause they was like, Oh, you're just coming here to change this whole area. And I was like, wow, this is, this is spicy, yeah, is. but not inaccurate <laughs> or what have you. And it, it, but I think the, the point is very valid. It's just like when you, take facets of that identity that make a place unique, it stops becoming that. So what's unique about New Orleans for sake of, sake of argument are like shotgun houses. You take those out of New Orleans and put row homes there. It's like, this is, what, what, what makes this place unique? You know, and I think that that's a thing in terms of identity. Yeah. Yeah, like, and also like, it's people's memories connected to these spaces yep. that you're also changing. So like, for example, speaking of Micah, um, the, right there on North Avenue between Linden and Park, there used to be a set of um, houses, apartment buildings right there. Um, they were known in the, in, the, in the neighborhood as like murder homes. 
is not the the best name for an apartment building, but that's what they were known for. But there was apartments, there was also a shopping center. In that shopping center, there was like all this other stuff. There was the best store store ever that was there. Also, there was a school on top of that. I just so happened to go to that school (laughs) in 11th grade. Um, But Micah bought that space, or, or not Micah, but ironically, I think the people who are doing the Lexington Market redevelopment, mm-hmm. Seawall, I think they also bought that space and they're going to redevelop that as well. So like that's, and then the school back there, they also changed that school. So it's no longer, um, I forgot what it was called, um, but it's not that school anymore. It's another school and it's redeveloped and stuff like that. So stuff like that's happening. Like, and even, it's just so much has like changed. Like the, that's not the neighbor. And like, it's, I guess, good because who wants to, Mm-hmm. in a space mm-hmm. called murder homes but also like this space is now mm-hmm. it's nice mm-hmm. now but it's is it who's it nice for right so and the people uh, that lived in murder homes are not going to live in those nice new redeveloped spaces right they evict those people out are they going to ask them to come back and live back in those spaces i don't think the so. rebirth of murder homes i feel like a <laughs> a, a, a 1998 rapper want to live in murder homes truly like <laughs> I don't even know how the apartments looked on the inside, but they were people's houses. But it, part of the the stuff that gets me when it comes to that identity kind of conversation is you, you mentioned like Lex to Market. And, you know, what I would go with in terms of remembering stuff would be it would be the smell of peanuts. And it would be going to get like, a, you know, a, a hot dog or what have you from like the constant spot and get some candy from the spot next day and maybe get a roast beef sandwich that's what or corned beef rather corned beef and that was the go-to that was the go-to for me it was my father like he loves some seafood so when he would come to baltimore the seafood spot in the back best oysters i've ever had (laughs) um the chicken it's chicken yeah and you know it was like 50 gajillion sandwich spots but i I didn't get corned beef sandwiches i just got like a regular turkey sandwich but i just love them a corned beef sandwich or pastrami sandwich. The point is, like, you go to Lexington Market for certain foods. They also have, like, fresh food that you can get, like, fresh <laughs> fresh fish and fresh meats. Like, there's not a lot of fresh fresh market spots, you know, for you to get stuff like that. And it's accessible, right? It's in the heart of downtown. Because I think when we talk about development in what we should be also focusing on is, like, these spaces are not going to make, are like, black, are not going to, how do I say this? Uh, black people want to feel welcomed and they want to feel like this is also their space. So mm-hmm. when you come in and redevelop it and you make it more inclusive, you take out the aesthetic and you take out the thing that makes black people comfortable to want to come there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I've never seen that many white people in Lexington Market. <laughs> I'm going to keep it a brick with you, but <laughs> like, I bet you that redeveloped Lexington Market, you're going to see all types of people up in there for real. You'd be walking dogs but and shit. Like, right. And like, how comfortable is that going to be for other other black folks? Not saying we are scared of whiteness, but like, you know how it is when you know, you in a space and other people feel like you are a threat in that space. You therefore become uncomfortable. I'll, I'll, that's I'll, what happens. I'll, I'll, keep it a, I'll keep it a buck here. The Lexington market got the, the title of world famous before this redevelopment. So act accordingly. Really? 
Yeah. You know, and I remember a lot of the iconography down there for like uh, the Baltimore arena and even Lexington market stuff in that area had these things that kind of echoed black designers from a certain era. And it's like, let's strip that away and give it this kind of sanitized vibe. And it's like, you're, you're taking things around it that are the reason that people went there. And I'll leave on this before I go to my next question is I remember taking a stroll through like that backside Rashfield side of the inner Harbor. And they had like a, a setup of what the design was going to look like in a few years. And I told my brother, I was like, it's going to be some weird curfew here. That's going to be excluding <laughs> black folk. I was like, I guarantee you because it yep. looked like glass everywhere. It looked like a gallery. And I was like, be- we're not going to be allowed in here. <laughs> what's also ironic, and this is the last point, yeah. what's also ironic about the Lexington Market area or the Lexington Market is, also, and what people fail to realize about Baltimore City is like the like history of slavery here and like how they used to sell slaves in the Lexington Market and like all types of like weird history. And, well, not weird, but like it's historic. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. it's so weird to like redevelop a space for whiteness and not, you know, honor it for what it like, what it has been, yeah. um, what it means historically, and how to preserve it for for other Black people. But yeah, that's just my the weird part about it. I didn't know that fact, Toy. That's why I never wanted to go into the basement there, Lexington Market. Uh, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure it's haunted. Super haunted. <laughs> yeah, it's that episode of Lovecraft Country. It's like no. Uh, exactly. You, have you seen that? Someone did a series. Someone like did some photos. Like they went in the basement of Lexington Market, and there's like, because apparently there used to be like a, a thing down there. I don't know. It was like a quick little okay. photographic <laughs> exploration of the basement of Lexington Market, and I was like, mm, I was never. I might pitch this. I might pitch this show. Like those hunters <laughs> that would have you, Baltimore. Oh, I'm I'm pretty sure Baltimore's haunted. Patrick Douglas lived in Fells Point and they also sold slaves down there. (laughs) But hey, go to this local bar and get loose. (laughs) That is, you want to talk about some interesting like stuff in Baltimore. Like we just don't be paying attention to that aspect of the city. We just move the veil a little bit. It's a port city. So right there, uh, you know, (laughs) start from there. Technically a Southern state. (laughs) What you think he was doing? Yeah. Sold slaves. Um, so for, for you, what, so I've, I've asked photographers this, um, a few different times and I've heard some interesting responses. Um, what would you consider your, um, photographic mantra or a a mantra that you abide by when you're doing your work? What do you mean by that? Like, can you just clarify? Cause like I have my tagline, which is documenting the aesthetics of this Baltimore life. Like so, like that is a mantra, or like uh, in in doing an, in doing that approach, it's like I want to like I have a mantra for when I'm doing my podcast. So I'll say like, look, I'm I'm just going to try to keep it as authentic as possible. And that's mm. all it is. It's like this might not be great. This might be quasi problematic. This might be goofy and stupid. But I'm going to try my damnedest to keep it uh, as authentic. So something that you keep in mind when you're you're trying to put together, like, okay, I want to shoot this. I know I'm going to shoot this. Am I getting this in this right way? What is my mindset when I'm approaching this project? What's something that comes to mind in that sort of way? Oh, I'm really big on respecting people's. So like. Respecting people's space, but I really am really big on like capturing intimacy, um, especially when I'm photographing people. Um, and that can sometimes be really hard to do. 
because you know that's a sacred thing for yourself and <laughs> I, so like when I'm shooting certain events like version was the longest thing I've shot uh I did that for like two and a half years and then COVID came and that just ruined everything thanks COVID but when I was at version it's a queer uh dance party right and it's one of the very few queer spaces left in Baltimore because every other club has been torn down Yes. Um, yeah. So like this is the one space where queer folk have to like come together and be intimate and be themselves and let their guard down. And it's a safe space because, you know, to be queer and to be black in the city is just like it's no bueno. It's not happening. Well, you can be. But, you know, there's a level of safety there that's always in jeopardy. So you have version, which is this safe space for you to let your guard down. And I'm here and it's a nightclub. So lights are off. Um, and I got this camera with this flash and I'm trying to take people's photos and people are having these very intimate moments and they have their guard down. So I try to be very mindful of people's space when doing that um, and mindful of the moment that people are having and not to be intrusive. That's really important. That's why also I'm not good at street photography because I feel like street photography is super intrusive. Like if you look at all my street stuff, most people are, have their backs turned. Cause I'm not like up in people's face with a camera and shit. I'm just like, and I'm at the distance. Now <laughs> portraits um, are, portraits are more intimate, but the people whose portraits I take, I know them on some capacity or some level. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. easy for them to let their guard down a little bit for me to photograph them in a way. Um, but when I'm documenting spaces, I'm trying to be very mindful of, of that. And I do want to capture, I do want it to be authentic but I also want to be respectful of people's like space and their energy and all that other stuff. Um, but the photo is not more important than people's autonomy, I guess, or whatever people got going on. The photo is not more important than that. that makes so sense. I try to be very mindful of that. Um, that's why certain things I'd be like, I'm not going to photograph this. I want to, I don't do it. Unless I have a like a connection or a gateway, like there are some, there are some things around my neighborhood I would like to photograph, but you know, I just I can't without being intrusive. Um, so yeah, we we did a, we did a photo shoot um, at the end of last year, uh, and as you remember, like I am not photogenic. I'm probably the least photogenic person I've ever made. I I don't know what to do with my Same. limbs. I'm six four. I don't know what to do with my body. And uh, <laughs> they were taking a picture. It's like Rob, can you be more fluid? I was like, huh? What? Huh? It's not raining. And it's like, look, we want to take a shot of you. We had to get up in your nostrils. We had to get all up in there. Just get the whole face. I was like, come on, let's whatever you need. I'm just got to know your angles. It, it's hard because everyone's shorter than me. That's the thing. It's like, it's like, you better get a stool. Yeah. It's like, look, I'm going to stand on top of this car and take a picture of you. I like, appreciate <laughs> you. Appreciate you. I have a couple more questions and then we'll be done. Um, give you a chance to shamelessly plug. Uh, but shamelessly plug. Um, what are your favorite areas to shoot in Baltimore? Mm, I don't have any I mean my neighborhood particularly okay. I, I like stay around I live over west oh. near Drew Hill Park so I like to just I, I stay over here and shoot um, I don't have a particular area um, that I like to shoot in I'm street's not my it, it started to be my thing but it's not really my thing Got it. anymore but any area of Baltimore I'm in it doesn't really matter the space doesn't matter. It's about what's going on in the space that matters. That I'm just like, ooh, let me let me capture that. That's beautiful right there. So it doesn't matter where I'm at. 
it was a, uh, I want to say we were uh, up there getting, getting beer last week on Eastern Avenue and uh, it had just got a little warm and I was like, Oh snap, everyone's outside. It looked like a festival. It was like, like, like the, uh, the Latin homies were on a truck with the coconut and it just like hacking. And I was just like, yeah, this is going to be great. I was like, I want a coconut. I was COVID. I, I want a coconut now. I, yeah. When I, it gets warm over here, the dirt bikes come out. Yeah. I heard the ice cream truck at some point. I was like, it's happening. It's almost that thing. Like based on the area, it's like what's popping at a certain time. That's the mm-hmm, area I want to mm-hmm. shoot. <laughs> and like over West, I don't know what it's like over East, but over West, like all the dirt bikes, are like they like converge in this one spot in particular kind of up the street from my house mm-hmm. so they'd be up there and they'd be riding up and down uh drew hill and um rice's town and stuff like that so just turn to a rough on this video yeah i, I want to photograph them so bad one day but it's really hard my, i have a this is another photographer shelby swan she photographed a few uh dirt bike riders when it when it started being warm because as soon as it's warm they be out here <laughs> Exactly. That's how I know. I'm like, oh, it's nice outside because huh. I just heard a few dirt bikes. It's like the uh, the the chicken, the, the rooster in the morning. Mm-hmm. But more like in the mid afternoon, the evening time. So like, I guess that's some like uh, particular iconic things that happen specifically over west. I don't spend a lot of time over east. That that should be like the the dirt bike. The revving of the dirt bike should be the uh, the sign of daylight saving time or something. And then like, we just need that to be a <laughs> <Right>. thing. <laughs> it's also like how crickets are like indicators of how warm or how cold it is. Uh-huh. Dirt bikes are like, oh, it's warm. Huh. They're outside. Hmm. I hear the ice cream truck. I smell somebody grilling around here. <laughs> is that weed I smell? Oh, okay. Exactly. Like, People outside. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Is that people sit? Oh, that's another iconic thing. Is like when it gets warm, people sit on their steps, and like there are some neighbors, some some houses, some row homes don't have porches. Mm. Some row homes just have steps. Yeah. Um, around here, around my neighborhood, it's a lot of steps. It's not that many porches, depending on what part, what street you go on, and how big the house is, and stuff like that. But people sit on their steps with a little cushion. Yeah. I need to get me a cushion for the steps so I can like sit on my step. Like, in like my, live my life. My 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 grandma's crib. I remember that my grandma's crib was over there on Argyle Avenue, and we were living in Lafayette Projects at the time. So definitely that that steez of like, yeah, there's a lot of people on steps right now. She had the backyard, the porch, the deck. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you got to be outside in the front. The back, it's just trees. No one's going to see you out front on the steps. Yeah, out front on the steps, you can say hi to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, or like you go hang out on somebody else's steps. That was with the thing. Them. Yeah. Um, when I used my cousins and them, they grew up on Eden Street, and um, Eden's like it was like one. Oh, all Eden was like about four blocks, but like the block they lived on, everybody was always on their steps in the summertime, and like that is like a thing that that's an aesthetic and a thing that I miss kind of like everybody be on the steps. You could just go from one step to the next step. My cousin would do my hair, but she wouldn't sit on the steps of her house. Cause everybody was coming in and out. So you sit on the steps next to her, <laughs> you know, make sure you clean your mess up. There's nothing Always. worse than even somebody's steps a mess cussed out. Well, yeah. always. So the last question I have for you, uh, and I, and I think this is, this is an interesting one because it's a good segue too. Uh, since we've been living off of memories until things open back up, share a story that comes to mind when you think of the underground nightlife scene in Baltimore. 
Mm, well, most of that uh-huh. stuff took place at the crown. So there's a mini story that people have at the crown. Every I'm pretty sure you could probably do a whole segment on things that have happened at the crown. Don't give me any ideas. Oh. I've only been in the crown once, by the way. Only once. I'm uh, old and I'm washed and <laughs> that's, that's true. Wow. <laughs> I mean that's not true. I don't know if you're washed or not, but trust me, there be there be older people in the crown. Like the crown has no age limit except for under twenty one you cannot come in. <laughs> but there be old people in there. There be all types of people up in the crown. Um It was a very interesting time when I wanted it. I was like, Oh, huh, that's a lot of aggressive dancing in here. <laughs> aggressive also the crown, like different different like thematic events there's a restaurant downstairs and which is perfect because when i'm drunk i want fries afterwards i can just go downstairs and get some fries before we leave mm-hmm. before i get drunk doesn't matter but i think most of those um nightlife stories revolve me being at the crown specifically at version mm-hmm. um or any other show because i also was pho- not just version was i photographing but i was doing a couple of i shot a few other like musical events um I shot 808s once, which was really great because uh, Kate does a really good job of showcasing all these artists from like Baltimore and other DMV areas. So, I, you know, I got to go to that a couple times, but I shot it once. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Swayze TV, which was not at the Crown, but at some other some other places in the city. Um so most of my nightlife story just involved me being in some space where there's a bar and it's dark and I have my camera and I'm just like photographing people in the club, but not any club, just specifically the crown. I dig it. And if not the crown, then just like being outside at night in Baltimore, which sounds kind of scary, but it's not that bad, honestly. Um, just don't be in certain spaces, but yeah, just because Baltimore is very different at night than it is in the daytime. Um, there's a lot of things that you can shoot at night. Lots of neon signs and just people kind of like living their life on a more quiet, quiet way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that works. Yeah. Uh, so shameless plug time. Uh, where can he find you, your website, your uh, socials, all of that good stuff? They're all the same. A Baltimore Grio. Website's a Baltimore Grio. Instagram's a Baltimore Grio. Email is also a Baltimore Grio. <laughs> Twitter, also a Baltimore Grio. <laughs> it's a brand. I dig it. I guess. So thank you again for coming on to the podcast. This has been great. I'm happy. Uh, so I'll do my sign off and we'll we'll wrap up here. So thank you for having me, by the way. Oh, you're thank welcome. You so Absolutely. This was great. So for for a Baltimore Grio, Sydney J. Allen, don't forget the J. <laughs> I'm uh, Rob Lee, and it is uh, art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it.